How's it going, everyone? Welcome to Fear Frequency, a weekly horror podcast. This is our 102nd episode, and I'm your host, Jimmy Champagne. As always, I'm joined by filmmaker, co-host, and best friend, George Frizzard. How's it going? Tired, man. I've had a hell of a weekend. I think it's, like, weird to call it a weekend because it was Thursday to <laughs> one day. Yeah. But yeah, I'm tired, too. So we, we've been uh, teasing something a little bit on Twitter and Instagram that we've been working on with our friends, Oddest of the Odd, which is Cortland, Gordon, and Ryan Becker, and Vinny DeSanti from Wompstomp Films. Uh, if you want to see any of that, go to my Twitter, go to Cortland's Twitter, go to Vinny's Instagram. You can get some hints, but all will be revealed soon. And let me just tell you, these Oddest of the Odd boys, they work some long shoots, but it's so much fun. <laughs> yeah, I was... It was a lot of fun shooting with those guys, and uh, early shots of what we got came out really cool, so I'm, I'm excited for this project. Yeah, it was really nice to be back in Michigan to kind of start off the fall, and we were like deep in Michigan. We were Battle Creek, Niles. We went to the Niles Scream Park. You want to talk about that? So our usual haunted house is Rotten Manor. We're trying to get back there this year. It is open, but Corlin's been hyping up Niles Scream Park which is a haunted house that he's been going to since he was a little kid. He's also helped build some of the uh, attractions in it. He His friends work on it. It's like a very big thing for him. And we finally got to check it out. It's a haunted house with like a midway. It's set up kind of like a carnival. They've got a bunch of different haunts. And it was so much fun. It was really cool. Yeah. I mean, I was just mostly impressed by variety of attractions that they had there. I mean, there's two smaller haunted houses four escape rooms, one giant haunted house that apparently can be tackled like 102 different ways or something. There's the outdoor attraction, and then there's the piece de resistance, Hooded. Let's talk about Hooded. So Cortland was selling us on Hooded all weekend by telling us we would hate it, which, you know, <laughs> it's kind of like the strategy I would use, so I can't really knock it. But essentially what Hooded is, is you go into this room, you sign a waiver, which is immediately scary. It could say, like, you get McDonald's at the end. But just the fact that you're signing a piece of paper is scary. And then they put a hood on you, obviously. And you basically have to walk through a haunted house without vision. And you have to hold on to a rope. And the rope can go up and down, left and right. You go really low to the floor, really high up to the ceiling. It turns into a pipe at one point. And the whole time, scare actors are screaming at you. They're spinning you around. They're like saying horrible things to you. And of course, Aaron, the guy who runs Niles Scream Park now, he uh, told them to really scare the shit out of us before <laughs> we all went in there. That was terrifying. That was the scariest thing I think I've ever done. Yeah, that I was really, really had a huge pit in my stomach before doing that. But once it was over, I thought it was a really cool experience. Yeah, there's a part where um, the, someone fake pees on your hand. I smelled it. It was definitely fake. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> they warmed up the water. I tasted it, too. It didn't taste like pee. They warm up the water, and uh, they pee on you a little bit. And it because you can't see and you're imagining this stuff, it feels very real. And at the very end, they really just bring it all home by making you sprint headfirst into a wall. Uh, yeah, that was a cool attraction. And, I mean, everything there... It was really high quality. Uh, Aaron showed us a bunch of the masks that he had gotten for this year in particular, and they were awesome, like very movie quality FX masks. They are movie quality. The The company they got it from 
it's I think it's called like Creature FX or something. They make masks for movies. Yeah, and they looked awesome. The scarers that were walking around wearing them. I mean, like really, really high quality stuff. Yeah, they spent fifteen grand on their masks this year to really just pump it up. Um, Cortland was really hyped to show us a bridge he made, and it was awesome. <laughs> it was really cool. It was in the what was it called? The it was a haunted forest. Yeah, field field of screams. Field of screams. Field of screams. Yeah, that was my favorite thing because it was really long. You got to go through all these different uh, types of scary rooms. There was a pumpkin tree, which you know. That's an easy way to win me over. The snow room. Oh, yeah. The snow room was really cool. They also, uh, they did a light version of Rotten Manor's uh, smoke room that we talked about a couple years ago, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I love that. Rotten Manor, a little bit better on that front, but like the effect was effective and it still worked. So I'm like, I'm not knocking it at all. Um, But yeah, if you're ever over on the west side of Michigan, like the deep west side. So down in the bottom left corner of Michigan kind of near Chicago, I think would be in driving distance or anywhere really in Indiana. You should definitely check out Niles Scream Park. I cannot recommend it enough. Yeah. They also lent us a smoke machine, like a fog machine, a brand new, very nice and expensive fog machine for our shoot. And we cannot thank them enough for that because watching Ryan Becker be the fog guy was amazing. <laughs> he, he was truly the best fog grip I've ever seen. Yeah, and George uh, George joined Oddest of the Odds, so you'll never hear from him again. He's uh, Oddest George on Instagram now. I don't know how long that'll last, so if you can't find it, he's George Frizzard. <laughs> but it was really fun to be back in Michigan. We flew Spirit, and for some reason, Spirit is being the most strict about COVID. They aren't selling middle seats anymore they like stop doing that it's pretty good and uh they threaten you by saying that if you take your mask off during the flight they're happy to land in any city in between where everyone else is going and they'll remove you <laughs> jesus and that was pretty that was that was cool here made me feel a little safer um i was really happy to meet Vinny from never hike in the snow and never hike alone which we reviewed never hike alone and we loved it that would be so awkward if we shit all over it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my luckily, God. Luckily, we really liked it. Yeah, we were so positive on it. And Vinny's awesome. He's such a nice guy. He's a great, great actor. I almost spoiled who he's playing. And uh, <laughs> I was really happy to meet him. We got to meet PG, who's Cortland's longtime friend. You guys have probably heard of him. He's, his channel's rated PG, and he's also PG, which is Physical Gamers. We got Berlizzi involved which was crazy. He was so nice. Um, it was just a really fun weekend overall. Great group of guys. Uh, had a total blast. And I think when this comes out, everyone's going to be blown away by how cool it is. George, what, what did you think of your first experience working on a movie? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a cool... It's cool to see it from the other side, you know, to be able to see all the behind-the-scenes stuff that goes into it, to experience it firsthand is unlike anything I've ever experienced before. So I think it gives me a lot more appreciation for a lot of facets of filmmaking. And I would say if anybody has the opportunity presented to them to do anything on a film set, big or small, um, definitely just check it out because it's, it's just cool to see the inner workings of all the movie magic. It was really nice having you there. George was the real MVP because we were going from battle creek to niles and back a lot just collecting props and just shooting in different locations um, because some of the places we asked for some of them we didn't and george drove more than anyone 
that worked on this thing and it was really really cool to have him there because the uh the cars we had we had a pickup truck which we basically filled every time we needed it other than that they were all sedans so having george's um suv was so helpful so when you guys see this just know that it wouldn't have been possible without george's impeccable driving <laughs> and Cortland's birthday happened over the weekend so everyone if you talk to him or you're following him oddest the odd one he uh he had a birthday so wish him happy birthday and yeah it was a ton of fun you'll see a teaser on october 1st we're sticking to that and i think you guys are really gonna like it um a few people have kind of guessed what it is because it's not very hard but just you're not ready that's all i'm gonna say yeah definitely not ready it's it's definitely gonna be a cool thing so we actually have a packed episode this week george the the doc i made yesterday was about half of this big and then today thursday all of this news started piling on, which is great. That makes me feel less bad about missing a day. But man, dude, yesterday, I was fucking dead. I was so tired. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we were doing back-to-back shootings for, you know, usually as soon as the sun went down till I think the earliest we ended was about four in the morning. So I'm still kind of recovering from <laughs> pulling multiple all-nighters in a row. Yeah, it, it was less hard for me than you because you are on Eastern time. I'm on Pacific time. So staying up all night in Michigan is a lot easier for me because I go to bed at 2 a.m. out here anyway because I wake up later because I don't have to start work till like 11-ish. And so going to bed at like 4 or 5, that's right around when I'm usually going to bed anyway. It was waking up earlier on my usual schedule that made it tough. But I want to bitch about that because Ryan... Ryan had it tough, but <laughs> Ryan yeah. definitely had the worst of us. <laughs> I knew I was tired yesterday because a I had my first Red Bull, and I, honestly, I said eight years to you, but I think it's about a decade, um, and that was bad. But it actually like woke me up, which is good. And then we got the Xbox Series X and at work, and I was just like, "Yay!" <laughs> you know, like I was like, "That's <laughs> like, awesome." Could barely muster any, any excitement for. Yeah, it. I can't say too much about it, but um, we got it set up. We're playing games on it. Which is crazy. Nice. Yeah, it's cool to have a working unit to toy around with. Yeah, they have some really cool stuff hidden in there. And the updated interface is dope. And that's all I think I'm allowed to say. But let's get into the news here. The first thing I want to start out with, AMC Fear Fest 2020. We've already talked about how it's a full month of October this year compared to starting, I think, on the 13th last year. So it's like halfway through the month. They have 91 films they're showing probably just all over the place. Eli Roth's History of Horror is coming back on Saturday, October 10th at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 Pacific. And other standouts, George, are you ready for this? All these movies I'm about to say? Get ready. Hit me with it. We've got tons of Children of the Corn sequels. Not Children of the Corn 1. It's like two through all of them. They got Bride, Seed, Curse, and Cult of Chucky, which is cool. If you've never seen any of those movies, you can probably watch them in sequential order. You've got The Conjuring, which I don't think has ever been on Fear Fest. That's a no, huge, a str- great movie. Huge get, yeah. You got The Crazies, the good one, the remake, which is also underrated as hell. That's the uh, Timothy Olyphant. Yeah. Yeah, I love that That movie's one. really good. Yeah. Um, they got the original creep show, which leads me to believe it'll come to shutter eventually because remember this is AMC. Yeah. Isn't it weird? Shutter doesn't have creep show one. They have two in the show. Yeah. That's pretty weird to me since that's the parent company. And I'd assume that if they had the rights to that, they would, it would kind of carry over in some way, but, um, whatever. I mean, it's cool. I think that's 
Creepshow 1 solid. Good addition to the lineup. Yeah, and then we've got Evil Dead 1, which is awesome. Haven't revisited that in a while. You got all four Final Destinations. Friday the 13th, 1 through 8, and the remake, which is pretty fun. You've got Halloween. This is different this year. So usually they have Halloween 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and then they kind of loop back around. This year they've got Halloween 1, 6, H20, Resurrection, and no 4 or 5, that's crazy because every year they have four and five, but I'm assuming it's because Halloween four and five are going back into the drive-in around the same time. So someone else probably has the rights for this year and every other year no one else wants them, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, that that's really weird to me, though. Like you're saying, like, I feel like most people who have watched those movies, the first time they've ever seen those was during Fear Fest. Like, I can Agreed. distinctly remember seeing Halloween 4 for the first time on Fear Fest. And I feel like, I, I mean, obviously they don't have to show the same movies every year, but it's like, kind of hurts my feelings that they're not playing. <laughs> like, they couldn't get it. That's a lot, a nice, much nicer way than what I wrote here on the doc <laughs> to put it. And uh, yeah, no Halloween 2 or 3 is also odd because they show those every year. Like, I'm happy that they're switching it up. I'm I'm positive. It's got, it's got to be because of all of these movies being re-released in theaters this year. Again, we've already had Halloween one and two announced to be in drive-ins. And now today we got four and five. So, and like, if you're showing Halloween, like you're not going to show Halloween three with all of these later sequels resurrection. Honestly, I feel like watching it with commercials improves it a little bit. Cause it's, it makes it feel like a TV movie. I watched resurrection for the first time on sci-fi during their Halloween thing. And it was honestly a lot more fun than watching it on DVD. So if any of you hate Resurrection, which is probably 99.9% of you, <laughs> give it a shot on uh, Fear Fest. Also, H20. I never see that movie in Fear Fest. And if you're going to come at me about not calling it H2O, go fuck yourself. I don't have the brain power today. So, yeah. Then we've got all of the Hellraiser DVD sequels, which is cool because a lot of people avoided those. Again, those movies, you'll probably get a newfound appreciation for them if you see them with commercials on cable. It's like the perfect setting, I think, for those do you agree? Yeah. I mean, I think any like looping horror channel is cool. Like that's, I, I kind of like the uh, same idea as like the Shutter TV thing where they just show movies. Like I'll, every once in a while, I'll just turn that on just to have something playing in the background. And I think that's like a great setting for a lot of these movies. Yep. And then you've got Insidious one through three. I think a different production company made the last key or someone else has that right now. But first three are a trilogy. Three is underrated. Out of all of them, three is the one that actually scared me the most. So I, if you haven't seen three, I highly suggest checking it out on Fear Fest. You've got every Tremors movie. Solid. One through six. Even the one that came out this year, A Cold Day in Hell. That one's showing. And 13 Ghosts, which I don't know. Like Tony Shalhoub, take him or leave him. <laughs> really, like he's my least favorite part of it. I don't. I don't really care for Monk in this movie, but it's the sets and the practical work and the fact that it opens up with a truck spraying blood out of each side of it, trying to summon the ghost of a serial killer. You you really can't beat it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's that's iconic right there. And most importantly, this movie was on Fear Fest. I was playing The Evil Within on um my, my PC monitor with my PS4, Evil Within 1, and I was watching this movie and... This, this was the first time I hung out with Kelsey outside of the two dates we had gone on 
So that's kind of cool. That's why I was I always remember Thirteen Ghosts, <laughs> and then you've got some like a triple threat here, really, of amazing movies that a lot of people probably haven't seen. You've got Village of the Damned, a deep John Carpenter cut. You've got Prince of Darkness, an even better deep John Carpenter cut. Like Prince of Darkness does not get nearly enough love. It's got found footage segments, like broadcasting back from the future, saying in the year 1999, the world's ending. Yeah, like weird time, yeah, weird time traveling stuff. Uh, yeah, really, you got uh, Dr. Loomis in it. I mean, not the character, but, mm-hmm. you know, Donald Pleasance. A lot of cool stuff. And then the younger guy from uh, Big Trouble in yeah. Little China. Yeah. I forgot his name. And then Trick or Treat, obviously, which I said obviously, but that I don't think that's ever shown on Fear Fest. Or if it has, it's been a while. So watching Trick or Treat, I can say with commercials, is a life-changing experience. Like, it, it's so nostalgic watching Trick or Treat with commercials, I will say. There's 91 total movies, and I just picked the ones I liked, so... If these aren't doing it for you, go check out the list. It's on AMC's website. This is going to be a fear fest for the ages, man. Yeah, I was going to say, it seems really stacked this year. A lot of good stuff. Oh, they have uh, the the people under the stairs, the children under the stairs. Oh, yeah. Love that Craig's movie. favorite Wes Craven movie, our friend of the show, Craig. <laughs> I, I saw that movie. Uh, I never heard of it. I saw it for the first time when I was a junior in college, and I really like it. It's fucking weird as shit, and the ending is hilarious. So, yeah, go to the AMC website and check this out. And, George, I'm happy to report that I am no longer blocked by AMC Fear Fest on Twitter. Oh, good, good. Yeah, I came at them for uh, the, the night they killed Glenn. I the, they, they quote retweeted some girl who spoiled it. And I was like, why the fuck would you do that? I'm like, what? And then they blocked me. But they deleted the Twitter for like two years. And then I guess when they reactivated it. It, like, removed all their blocks. Yeah, I was so, going to say, because wasn't that dormant for a while? Like, we hadn't really yes. heard anything from Fear Fest, but... It was a whole thing. Also, just while we're talking about Twitter, I'm working on a video of Shutter recommendations, and I don't know why I do this, but I made it, like, 15 minutes long, and there's, like, stories involved. And I went back to prove that I've been a subscriber to Shutter since day one. I was like, I know I tweeted the day I subscribed. So I went back and found it. I actually tweeted like three weeks after I subscribed on November 15th, 2015. But when I mentioned this to George, he brought up that the first movies we watched on Shudder, like minutes after I subbed, were Dead Girl and Behind the Mask. And I had a tweet about that from November 8th. And I think it came out on like Halloween in 2015. So I've been subscribed since pretty much day one. And I'm pretty proud of that. Yeah, I mean, it's never been the most functional streaming service. I think it's getting a lot better. Uh, congrats to them for passing their, like, 1 million user mark. That's pretty awesome. That's insane, yeah. yeah. That's 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 really cool. And, yeah, from year one, they had some great movies on there. They had, like, Sleepaway Camp. They had Behind the Mask, Dead Girl, obviously. They had House of the Devil, The Innkeepers. I don't know why all these are still in my memory, but the one, there's this movie called Paintball where these people, like, went to play extreme paintball only to realize that they had real guns. And that's like that, George, I just descri- described that. That concept sounds so cool, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. The problem was the file they uploaded to Shutter was like broken and it would just like freeze after 14 minutes. And we tried this on like multiple accounts and multiple devices. They never fixed it. And you couldn't buy the movie or rent it. So I had to go torrent it. And George and I watched it and it sucked. <laughs> it was such a disappointment. Not even but- worth it. Not even worth the effort. I like it. I like that story because it's like I have a shutter memory 
And that's going to be cool to have because Shutter's so big now that, like, we have these, like, early days memories, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely cool. It's cool to see it blow up the way that it has, where it could have been something that, you know, never really took off. And I think that it's awesome that they're getting these, you know, like, bringing Joe Bob back and actually getting, you know, making their own original content with, like, the Creepshow TV series. Like, I'm, I'm really happy that they like found a foothold and are really growing. Yeah, and obviously we support them a lot, but they've been just as good about supporting us lately and that doesn't go unnoticed. It's really cool. So, we've already mentioned Trick or Treat in that AMC Fear Fest story. There's a new graphic novel coming out called Trick or Treat: Sam's 10th Anniversary Collection and it brings all of his stories together. The reason this is interesting is because remember uh, I think it was last Halloween or it might have been the year before they released a new trick-or-treat graphic novel, which is called Days of the Dead. We talked about it. Do you remember that? Yeah, faintly. So in addition to that, I never, I didn't know this actually happened. They did adapt the movie into a graphic novel. So this is like a hardcover 10th anniversary collection of both. Yeah. And it's got an intro from Mike Dougherty. And it's available now. So I got to buy it. Some of the art looks awesome. I mean, it seems like you know, a great like coffee table book or something just to have out around the Halloween season. Uh, seems, seems cool to me. Yeah. I'll definitely check that out. I just want to let you all know that because you know how much I love trick or treat. It's probably my favorite movie after Halloween. I mean, it's, is that fair? I, yeah, I, I think is. it's really special to a lot of people. I think it's like the number one no brainer pick for a movie to watch on Halloween. That's not Halloween. I, I like literally don't have any criticism for that entire movie. No, Which, I mean to me it's excellent. I I also I love it. I love watching it every year. That and Satan's Little Helper. Yeah. Which the Holy due Trinity. Due for a rewatch. It's been a, it's been a couple weeks, so I think I'm due <laughs> for a Saints Little Helper rewatch. Another cool thing of stuff coming back that's old is Left 4 Dead 2 has the last stand update and it's out now. I wrote this down on a doc, but we might have cut it. Did we ever talk about this? Uh I don't really remember. Like I I think we cut it. I don't remember there being any like advanced notice of this. I, you told me that there was new Left 4 Dead 2 content, and I was like, are, are you sure about that? It just does not see, like, did not cross my memory at all that there was anything coming out for that game. Left 4 Dead 2 is 11 years old at this point, which makes me feel old because I distinctly remember getting Left 4 Dead 2 because it, I got it the day I got my Xbox 360. My first Xbox 360 games were Skate, Left 4 Dead 2, and Need for Speed Shift. And I brought them over to our friend David's house, who we've talked about in the show before in our Telluride Horror episode. And I was the only one who liked Left 4 Dead 2, which blew me away because I was like, I've been waiting for this fucking game for so long. Anyways, a very special game to me. There's a new update for it that adds a ton of content. George, I'm going to get nerdy with you really quick. This update... Some people at Valve worked on it, and they actually updated the game's engine to source, like, 1.75. They, like, took some features and, like, backported them from Source 2, which uh, is the engine that runs Half-Life Alex. We've talked about it before. Mm-hmm. It, it Which looks amazing. Like, Source 2 looks so good. So they backported some of the best features. Yeah. So this, this uh, update was made by the community, and then Valve picked it up. And then put it in the game, which is awesome. So it brings in the survival map, 
last stand from the first game and if you guys didn't know all the maps from left 4 dead 1 are already in left 4 dead 2 and all the characters are as well but the survival map never made it over it takes place in like it looks like a a new england coastal town and it ends on a lighthouse but they turned it into a real campaign that you can finish like a normal um left 4 dead campaign they added in new weapons like a shovel. They added in other new weapons. They brought back some voice lines that were cut from the original game. Uh, it's And it's free, which is even cooler. It updates the graphics. They bring in new zombies. There's new mutations. There's 30 new achievements. And this was all developed by the community and like cleaned up by Valve which makes it that much cooler. And the press release says, it has been many years since the infection first hit. Radio silence, no sign of life, nothing but lingering hopes. Seda is not going to save us. But there is hope. A few brave souls continued to fight against all odds and soon we can all benefit from their resilience. The day has come. It's time to go kill some more zombies. Also, Steam, you can get the game for $2 right now and it's free all weekend. So for the one or two people out there in the entire universe who don't own Left 4 Dead 2, now's the chance to get it. Yeah, I was going to say, at this point, doesn't it just come with a Steam account? Like, you just have Left 4 Dead on here to, ready to play. So, I'm really excited about this. Left 4 Dead is such a perfect game. I was telling um, our friend Ryan, who we just mentioned earlier, about how George and I used to get on Left 4 Dead, and we would <laughs> team up, and then we would team up with randoms, and then we would kill each other, and then go into the voice chat and be like, guys, we're down. <laughs> guys, we're down. We're then down. they'd res up. They revive us and we just kill each other immediately again. And we actually remember we got banned for like a week or something. Yeah. I forget how long. Yeah, I remember there was some <laughs> some issues with it for a little while. Yeah, so Left 4 Dead 2 is an awesome game. I I think I would appreciate it a lot more now because they've got such cool levels. Like I've developed taste since 2009, since I was like in high school, you know? <laughs> and I mean, I think it's just it's been so long since I've played a good zombie shooter. Yeah. That I think I'm like ready for that again. I'm ready to jump back into it. I, I bought it for Cortland too. Oh, before nice. it was $2. Also, <laughs> I bought it for Cortland for his birthday. I'm going to get Ryan a copy. We can all play with them. And speaking, speaking of more stuff that's coming back from the past, George is undead nightmare coming back in red dead redemption too. I sure would love that. The YouTube channel red dead guides did some digging in the game's files and he discovered 48 zombie character models if you want to get specific, it's 29 male zombie variants and 19 female. And they're linked to a limited time Halloween event. And along with that, the video shares some of the audio linked to a game mode titled Fear of Us. So obviously, this has got to be Red Dead Online, right? Yeah, I would assume that it's going to be yeah online content. How do you feel about this? I love Undead Nightmare. I don't think this will get me to jump into Red Dead Online. Like, I just could never see myself dedicating, like, 100 hours to Red Dead Online. I think, like, I don't really see how it would fit in the main story. If they did, like, a side arc thing, like a separate character or something that was single player, I would buy it in a heartbeat. But I just, like, really have no interest in Red Dead Online. I just don't, I don't have the hard drive space. That game's so big. Yeah, it's massive. Um, If it's, like, a free thing you can fuck around with in Red Dead Online, you bet your ass we're playing it. But, like anything past that unless it's a single player ten dollar expansion like yeah, first i would love that undead nightmare that'd be great. they could just like remaster undead nightmare based on the end of red dead redemption 2 right yeah i mean you have you have access to the entire map from red dead 1 at the end of the oh, God. game so you could in theory just pick up from there and play all that content the year undead nightmare came out was straight up one of the best years of my entire life 
We got the first My Chemical Romance album since Black Parade, Danger Days. Solid album. True Story of the Fabulous Killjoys. Still remember that. Listen to that all the time. Permanently on my fall playlist. And we got Undead Nightmare, which like back then games just like dropped, you know, like I didn't know about Halo ODST and I think it came out probably in the same year. And then you hear that it's out and it's got the beta for this new game you've never heard of called Halo Reach. So you like, we were 16, we go to the Toys R Us, we beg the lady to give us the copy of the game and she like does. Those are great memories. Getting Undead Nightmare for 10 bucks, that was fucking awesome. I remember that Halloween, you, our friend Sean and I, we went to a Halloween party at... um, like someone I went to high school with, remember Grace? Oh yeah. We went to her house. We all had awesome costumes, and then we all went to Coney Island, which is like a Detroit diner. It's a diner, but it's an, it's a Detroit themed diner basically. And then after that, we all went back to my house and did like a sleepover because every Friday in high school we would all do sleepovers. And then I stayed up all night and I beat uh, Undead Nightmare one sitting. The day it came out. And it was so cool. And they don't like do stuff like that anymore. Like not only randomly released, but I don't think we see a lot of like one-off content like that really for games. Especially yeah. huge games like that. So uh, I that ideally that's what it would be. It would be like some cool little single player thing to jump back into Red Dead and play around with. But uh, I would assume that it's, it's going to be online content. But yeah, Left 4 Dead 2 getting an update. It kind of like tops my priority list for the next long time just gotta be <laughs> honest i'm just so excited about that and then the last thing i have on here is that mayhem's director the one and only joe lynch joseph lynch joe lynch he's in uh serious sam 4 which dropped today it's a first person shooter from devolver digital and crow team apparently the way this happened was joe works for an agency that does casting and he was the casting director for serious sam 4 specifically a character named kenny and the people who worked who like ran the show on serious sam 4 said all the actors that came in did a good job but no one got it quite right except joe when he was reading the lines during other actors auditions (laughs) he just killed it made it hilarious joe was lovely funny as hell in fact he was so good that they wrote him into more lines and directing him was a blast. And they said the best part, to be fair, was when he cracked himself up. And they called him a brilliant, unexpected addition to the Crow Team family. And just this this whole thing is just an excuse to bring up uh, Watch Holliston on Shudder. It, it's out now. Just start streaming the shit out of it because we need season three. But uh, Serious Sam's 4 is out today for 40 bucks on PC. For some reason, it's a Stadia exclusive for consoles. I don't really get that. And then next year it'll be out on consoles. It's getting, like, the reviews you'd expect, but a little bit better. Like, I was expecting hard fives, you know, down the line, 50%. And it's getting, like, sixes and high sevens with a few eights. Yeah. I mean, the only thing that's really the only thing that's really holding me back is I've seen that there's a lot of technical issues right now. Yeah. So I would probably wait till there's, like, a couple patches that fix some of that stuff. Uh, but, I mean, the, the idea of it, the, like, plot synopsis... Uh, you know, having Joe Lynch as like a main character, and it definitely gets me really excited to jump into this series that I've never even played before and have really no concept of. So the reason this game is worth talking about, despite the technical issues, is the intent that the the developers Crow Team had going into it. So this game was actually delayed a lot. It was supposed to come out in 2019. It got delayed till 2020, and then it got delayed again. And the they added a narrative, which is like a, a big first for this series. 
And they basically made it because everything is so cynical now. Like everything is trying to make you feel bad about yourself and make you like question who you are as a person. So they went into this trying to just make people feel good. They gave Serious Sam like this cast of characters he can bounce off of and everyone's just like feeling good. And they said it's more that it was an attempt to, without trying to disparage the previous games in any way, to do it better. It was an experience that needed characters, a villain, a sense of events happening in the world. Thing was to try to do it well. It's still a game that's primarily action-focused. It still plays like any classic Sam game. It's just an attempt to also do the sort of B-movie kind of story that it does. But to do it well, to do it in an entertaining, clever, and hopefully charming sort of way. And their biggest inspirations were John Carpenter's better movies. Which is so cool. And that's what makes me excited to check it out. And I'm happy to like look past some of its technical shortcomings. But I am going to wait for a patch. Maybe even the coveted Steam Autumn Sale. Which I love. Yeah, I would say that this is probably going to be in that. Um, Hopefully that starts up pretty soon, right? It's got to be just around the corner. So they have a Halloween sale every year. And then the Autumn Sale is Thanksgiving. Which is weird titling, right? Mm-hmm. I, I'd assume this will be at least a little discounted in the Halloween sale. Yeah. Which is probably when I'll pick it up. Because I've got stuff to play right now. Left 4 Dead, Avengers. So I'll just wait a little bit. I've also been playing Skyrim on my Switch a lot. So I've got I got a, lot, a, a couple games I'm bouncing between. And I just I really like that developers, game developers, movie makers, they're recognizing that like prominent voice in horror right now is extremely cynical it's extremely miserable (laughs) like making movies that are supposed to make people feel bad instead of scared or have fun and i'm glad that there's a response to that and if those movies are your thing obviously that's totally fine that's what people seem to like right now that's the cultural zeitgeist but i'm just glad they're not replacing the more positive escapism that I think George and I both grew up with, if that makes sense. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I mean, I think that there is space for both. We've said this before, but, and and then you can have this, but I, I think basically the issue is there's space for both, but nobody's filling the like more fun escapism side of it. So whenever content like this does come out, that is, you know, more lighthearted in nature. I think that is something that I kind of gravitate to just because it seems like there's been a void of that recently. Right, and ironically, the movie we're talking about in today's show is definitely leaning more towards the other side of the fence, which is more like introspective, societal commentary type horror. And we both really liked it. Yeah. So it's not like we don't like those movies. It's just, it seems like the side of the fence that wants stuff like that only wants there to be room for stuff like that when George and I and people who feel like we do are more than happy to have all of it you know like stuff like Annabelle Comes Home or Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark right which are more lighthearted takes on it you know not extremely dreary or you know about really commenting on societal issues or anything like that I mean there's obviously a place for that in a lot of movies but I think having more lighthearted uh, just kind of fun, like you were saying, escapism movies or games or anything like that is is something that I would like to see more of. And there's a big argument happening right now on film Twitter, which is, is horror inherently political or not? And it's like, 
I don't think inherently every horror movie is political. I think that's just a fact. But I do think horror provides the best conduit to make something that channels the way you feel oppressed, you know, because it's what you're scared of. And if you find a good metaphor for that, horror provides you the best way to get that across. But I don't think that should be the only thing that's happening because then your message will get diluted and it'll, you know, feel like the norm. There's the horror is big enough where there's enough room for everyone. I think yeah. personally, I think it's got to that point. And, and I mean, I don't think it's even always intentional. I think one person could watch a movie and see it one way and another person could watch it and it resonates with them or they see a theme in there that really connects with them and they connect on it with an emotional way. So I think it's just, you know, the, the content itself can vary from person to person. But I think a lot of times with these recent movies, it's been more so just about being introspective or just about societal commentary, where I think there's room to kind of have it be more of a gray area. Yeah, we'll talk about that more in a little bit, because I feel like this movie, Spiral, dude, this, that, what you just said, this hit it perfectly. Like, being in, like influenced and inspired by society, but not letting the actual movie go unaddressed. You know what I mean? Right, right. Which is cool. So that's it for the news. Let's get into future programming, which I'm so glad we made this section because there has been a lot of stuff getting release dates lately. First up, I had to put this first, George, even though I usually do chronological order. Joe Bob's Halloween Hideaway is coming October 3rd. The synopsis is Joe Bob's Halloween Hideaway will stream at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific on October 23rd. Joe Bob has left the trailer park in favor of a more remote retreat, but he's still ready to serve up a double feature of films handpicked for your Halloween enjoyment. And couldn't help but noticing that in the little poster they put out, which I will say it looks amazing. There's an Evil Dead cabin, which leads me to believe we could be seeing Evil Dead and Halloween 3. Yeah, which would be awesome. I would love to see Evil Dead 1 or 2. Um, or even Cabin in the Woods. That could also work. Yeah, for I mean, that cabin. all those are cool. Cool ideas. I mean, I think the, you know, the big fingers crossed is getting that Halloween 3 reveal. That would be awesome to, to have Joe Bob have to face his fear and watch Halloween 3. Um, yeah. But I, w- I would love to see his commentary on a- any of those Cabin in the Woods or any of the um, Evil Dead movies. I'm honestly I'm honestly much more interested in hearing his commentary on Cabin in the Woods because we don't really get to hear him talk about newer movies all that often, right? We got like Mayhem, Victor Crowley, but it's rare that we get to hear about a brand, brand new-ish movie. And if you really think about it, Cabin in the Woods is almost 10 years old. It's like two years shy. It's like eight years old, which is crazy. So... Either way, I'm really excited for this. Um, everyone else should be. Joe Bob's the best. He survived being canceled, which, you know, it's hard to do. Definitely, especially in this climate. I mean, it's like, you know, we've always kind of sung his praises and love his content. So I'm, I'm just happy that they were even able to put something together in these really turbulent times and uh, yep. give us something to, to look forward to in October. Yep, and something else to look forward to in October is the Creepshow Halloween special, which comes out on October 26th. They're adapting two stories, 
one from Stephen King and one from Joe Hill, and it's going to be fully animated, which I think is really cool. So Survivor Type is based on the short story by Stephen King. It's adapted by Greg Nicotero, the showrunner on Creepshow. It stars Kiefer Sutherland as a man determined to stay alive, alone on a deserted island, no matter what the cost, and then Twittering from the Circus of the Dead, which is based on a short story by Joe Hill, Stephen King's son. It's adapted by Melanie Dale. It stars Joey King, which is disappointing, as a teen... (laughs) whose family road trip includes a visit to the gravest show on earth. And that one sounds like one day at Horrorland, the Goosebumps book, which makes me so excited. Um, I just like, I don't think Joy King's a good actor. So maybe her being a voice actress will help. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't think she's really been in anything that I've considered like a great and, or like, like even Fargo her... season one. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. It's cool. I think it's cool that we're getting a little bit of uh, something different out of Creep Show. I mean, I think that if if their like animated stuff from the movies is going to be like the style that it's in, I think that could come out really cool. I'm hoping that they got a bigger budget for this season because the animated sequences in the first season were pretty bad, just being straight up. Um, but I don't see how they could not get a bigger budget because this movie, this movie, this show killed on both Shutter and AMC. They showed all six episodes on AMC a couple months ago and it totally blew up. So I think if they're doing an animated episode, it's because they got the money for it. Yeah. I mean, to me, I think the big issue with the first season were those budgetary restrictions where yeah. you could tell a lot of the stories. Like, you could tell which stories got the budget and which ones didn't. The House of the Head was the one that felt so cheap. Yeah. I mean, you could def. I think the issue is that some of them just really showed their budget in a way that was unavoidable. You could definitely tell, like, where the money was spent and not in the best way. Um, so hopefully they got enough money this time around uh, to make sure all of these shorts actually come out as good as they possibly can. And then... We've got cannibalistic pilgrims attacking in Thanksgiving slasher, The Last Thanksgiving. And the the plot synopsis here is a family of cannibalistic pilgrims attacks a restaurant that stays open for Thanksgiving. Same plot as fucking gravy. I was about to say, sounds very similar to gravy. (laughs) I just made that connection. It's premiering at Salem Horror Fest, which is all online this year. Obviously, it's its East Coast premiere. Hopefully, they can get it out for everyone to see by Thanksgiving. I just want to highlight a Thanksgiving horror movie because I feel like there aren't that many. We've got Thanksgiving and then Invaders, yeah, which is a short film. Yeah. And this looked okay. It didn't look great, got to be honest, but I'll watch it. I'll probably end up liking it too because I just said it doesn't look great. <laughs> I mean, I, th- I think it's a fun concept. Um, and like you were saying, I-, I think anything like holiday related is usually kind of fun. Um, so something cool to check out. Like you said, if it can be on out. Uh, around thanksgiving it'll be fun you know to watch on the like november time period and then we got mortal from andre overdahl who's the director of the autopsy of jane doe troll hunter and scary stories to tell in the dark it stars nat wolf as a sleepy norwegian town where violence erupts after an american backpacker is arrested the american backpacker being nat wolf witnesses claim a teen died after touching the stranger and that he inexplicably started a fire that engulfed a farm he warns the psychologist christine that he has supernatural powers and that anyone who gets too close to him dies i like nat wolf super underrated actor andre overdahl super underrated director 
Very excited to see this on February 28th. How about you? Yeah, I mean, seems like a total match made in heaven to me. I have have yet to watch an Andre Odell movie that I didn't like, so I feel like... Very good statement. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so I just feel like if it's more from him, I, I completely trust him as a director, and I'm, I'm stoked for it. Then we've got IFC Midnight, our friends over there. They set a December release date for Devin Sawa starring thriller Hunter Hunter. I put this on here because it's IFC Midnight. We love them. Devin Sawa, of course, is the guy from uh, the first Final Destination. So that's cool. Yeah, I haven't heard from him in a while. He follows me on Twitter and he interacts with me regularly, which makes me like every time I see him pop up, I'm like... <gasps> <laughs> what did I do wrong? <laughs> so he's pretty cool. It follows a family living in the remote wilderness, earning a living as fur trappers. Joseph, who's played by Devin Sawa, his wife, Anne, and their daughter, Renee, struggle to make ends meet and think their traps are being hunted by the return of a rogue wolf. Determined to catch the predator in the act, Joseph leaves his family behind to track it. Anne and Renee grow increasingly anxious during joseph's prolonged absence and struggle to survive without him when they hear a strange noise outside their house Anne hopes it's joseph but instead finds a man named lou who has been severely injured and left for dead the longer he stays and joseph is away the more paranoid Anne becomes and the idea of a mysterious predator in the woods becomes a threat much closer to home that kind of gives away a lot i'm sorry i feel like they're just saying that devin sawa is going to be the bad guy but that sounds cool. Like wilderness movies are kind of fun usually. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I would like it if it was something a little bit more like supernatural. Um, I agree. But, but we'll see. I mean, I have seen Midnight usually pumps out a decent movie. So I'm sure when it comes out, we'll end up liking it. They're smart. They know how to buy movies. And then the last thing I have on here, Truth Seekers, which is a new Simon Pegg and Nick, Nick Frost series from Amazon, comes out on October 30th. I'm assuming the whole show. It's a horror comedy series about a team of part-time paranormal investigators who uncover and film ghost sightings across the UK, sharing their adventures on an online channel for all to see. However, they stake out haunted churches, underground bunkers, and abandoned in hospitals with their array of homemade ghosts detecting gizmos, their supernatural experiences grow more frequent, more terrifying, and even deadly as they begin to uncover a conspiracy that could bring about Armageddon for the entire human race. Obviously, Edgar Wright's not involved, so you gotta be a little skeptical, but it's Simon Pegg and Nick Frost being ghost hunters, which is fucking dope. Yeah. I'm so excited for this. And the trailer was really good. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think those are big names attached to it. I think that They've done a lot of really cool stuff. Um, you know, really big fan of the Cornetto trilogy. So I think this is going to be something cool. I mean, the trailer looked great. I really like Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. I think when they get together, their movies are always really funny and interesting. So I'm excited for it. They're going to be cool. The trailer was awesome. And it also had a couple other actors from Shaun of the Dead show up. So Yeah. I mean, my only complaint is that it's coming out a little late. Like, I think October 30th <laughs> yeah. is really kind of cutting cutting it close. I wish it would come out, like, maybe a week earlier, but I digress. I'm going to be playing Doom Eternal's expansion on October 30th. <laughs> I'll tell you right now. But that covers up future programming. Thanks for listening to all that, guys. Hopefully you found something to be excited for. 
Now, let's talk about our movie this week, which we've already teased, Spiral, the new Shudder release as of last Thursday, and the synopsis is a same-sex couple moves to a small town so they can enjoy a better quality of life and raise their 16-year-old daughter with the best social values. But nothing is as it seems in their picturesque neighborhood, and when Malik sees the folks next door throwing a very strange party, something shocking has got to give. So this is a home invasion movie a la Get Out, very similar to Get Out, where where Malik is the stay-at-home dad raising his 16-year-old daughter while Aaron, who's played by Ari Cohen, works. And uh, shit gets fucking crazy in this movie, dude. This movie was really good. What did you think of it? Yeah, um, I really liked it. I think that the plot takes a little while to get going. Yeah. Um, but kind of once the mysteries start to become a little bit more... Uh, the focus of the movie and the plot kind of unravels a little bit. Like I was definitely hooked by probably the beginning of the second act, maybe middle of the second act. And was really just like on the edge of my seat, you know, trying to figure out like where it was going. Um, but I thought, I thought it was definitely a good watch. It's a really cool movie that takes place in the nineties. We were talking about this and we we're like, why, why is it set in the nineties? I was thinking about it. I think it's more because being gay was less accepted back then. Yeah. And I mean, I think there's, yeah, there's that that big uh, like Bill Clinton um, speech that they hear over the radio where they're basically talking about mm-hmm. the American way of life being threatened by like non-traditional family structures. So I think that's kind of the reason why it was set a little bit further back in time. Um, but I mean, really, other than that, it, like stylistically, I don't think it really benefited from being set in another time i mean i think it kind of needed to plot wise but i don't i didn't really see any like 90s influences in it the best reason to set a horror movie in the 90s is so you can remove a cell phone i think (laughs) yeah and i don't really remember that being an issue at all like i don't know how like i don't remember that working that in at any point so so malik is the main character even though it focuses on a family he's played by jeffrey bowyer chapman that guy Gotta say, he's a little shaky in the part, doesn't totally sell it, but the writing is strong and the shot work especially is super strong and the setting is great. It takes place in sort of the Midwest, maybe northern United States, and it's right at the end of November, early December, which is like where everything starts to get a little murky. You've got the fall feel with the leaves change colors, maybe even fall off the trees, but you've also got snow on the ground and the sky is definitely overcast the entire time. That's what really sells this movie for me. And I have to say, it's awesome that even though it gets a little cerebral, it doesn't skimp on the gore. And it also keeps you very like even leveled with the plot. Like it feels a lot more confusing than it actually is, which I really appreciated. Very much similar to Get Out. Yeah. I mean, I would say... You know, basically by the time there's like all the big reveals in the last act of the movie, it, everything kind of clicks. It doesn't lose itself where I think because of the way it's structured and like how the first bit of the story is told, it really easily could have just gone way off the deep end and lost its footing, and like not stuck the landing at all. But I think it does the opposite and kind of keeps grounded and keeps the story as the focus of it. And I think that really benefits the movie by the time that the credits roll. I I put it on Shutter and I was immediately impressed with how good it looks. It doesn't necessarily feel like a theatrical level movie, but it also doesn't feel like an indie film. 
You know, it's got, it's just got that little bit of extra production value that really goes a wrong, long way. Like it feels like you're watching something early that you should be watching in the theater. That's what, that's kind of what it felt like to me at least. And, uh, you've got some actors, I think his name is Lachlan Munro. He's the guy who plays Betty's dad in Riverdale. And I think he's a great actor. And when the cult aspect really reveals itself, and I'm not spoiling anything because that's in the trailer, that's when I really started to get excited about this movie. And I also have to say, the gore. There's some seriously fucking sick gore in this movie. And you're not expecting it when it pops up. That really just like made my eyebrows raise. Yeah, I wish there was a little... I don't know how it would fit in the story, but I wish there was like a little bit more. Just because the effect is so good. Like, I think they really nailed the effect um, in that one scene. And so I wish that they could have, like, flexed that a little bit more and shown shown some different stuff. But I think that maybe that would even have lessened the impact when it actually does show up. But really a cool scene in the movie. When that's when all the revelations are happening and you kind of just, like, get hit over the head with what exactly is going on. And there's just this great shot of someone eating, which is, like, so disturbing. It came out great. And I got, like, the ending, the little reveal at the end of how, you know, the the, the reveal of how they're going to beat these this cult in the future. A little bit corny for my tastes. And Aaron and Malik don't really have any chemistry, which is why I think they're barely on screen together. Uh, overall, I, I, I honestly think this movie is just let down by the acting. That's my only big gripe with it, because your two leads, uh, Aaron and Malik, just they don't. They don't gel together, and neither of them really sell their roles, in my opinion. Do you feel the same way, or do you feel differently? I mean, I agree that they don't really have a lot of chemistry on screen together. Like, I never really bought them as a couple. I think Malik sells the more unhinged half of the character, where he's kind of feels like he's going insane, and he's missing time, and he doesn't know what's going on. Yeah, he does good with like, that. I, You're I right. think when right. he's playing those parts where he's very panicked and manic and doesn't know what's happening and is trying to you know investigate and move around i think those scenes he really kind of flexes and does well in the role but i i think like a lot of the mundane scenes just feel kind of flat so it's like a half really strong performance for me um but i think i i agree that he, it's not 100 percent there also super nitpicky but there's a really strong li- reliance on a computer in this movie which you know, it takes place in the 90s and they're talking about like hard drives deleting themselves and stuff like that. It feels very early 2000s to mid 2000s in that sense. I just thought that was kind of weird. Like, why would you set it in the 90s if you're going to focus so much on a very futuristic feeling device that kind of sticks out a little bit? Obviously, they need it for the plot. That's a minor spoiler. But like, I don't know. Felt a little weird. The reason I was excited about this movie, though, is mainly because the writer is Colin Minihan, who you would know from Grave Encounters. I think he's got a really good career that's building up. He signed on to do the remake of Urban Legends. And this, seeing this, knowing this is kind of like a cerebral slasher, it got me really excited for what he's about to do with Urban Legends, yeah. if anything. Yeah, I mean, I think it is extremely well written, if nothing else. I think the plot like we were saying, like flows extremely well because it's like written in a very smart way. I think that the characters are written well, but not necessarily completely there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think totally an extremely well-written movie. Yeah. I've seen a little bit of hyperbole related to this, which kind of says it's as effective as get out. 
I completely disagree with that. I think it's like approaching there. I don't even think a little bit more money would help that. I just think like like the, the script is there, the setting is there, the acting just isn't. So if they switched out the main cast and kind of got a little bit more money, I think that's when you'd start approaching Get Out. But like it, it does feel like the indie version of Get Out and it feels like it's very inspired by that. And overall, when you compare it to the other offering Shutter's had, even over their stellar past couple of months, this one really stands out for its production value alone. And just the fact that it's as much a thriller as it is a horror movie, and it doesn't skimp in either perspective. Yeah, I mean, to me, if nothing else, it's just really a strong addition to Shutter's originals. And I think if this is kind of the direct the trajectory that they're going in from, like, let's say August to now where they've really been pumping out a lot of cool, well-produced, good-looking original movies and they kind of keep going upwards, I think they're going to have a really killer back catalog of original um, shit just to watch. I also feel like all of these movie festivals becoming online only is really beneficial to them because they can see which ones catch on and get hype and then they can go and buy those and then kind of capitalize on that hype, throw them up on the streaming service, really capitalize on people talking and getting excited about that. Also, this movie's poster and just its logo, despite the fact that it's like one of move five or six movies called Spiral coming out in the next few years, yeah. it, it stands out on the streaming service. It's got a really cool look to it, even if it is a little bit misleading because it shows the cult in their outfit very heavily on the poster. And you don't really get to see that all that much, probably just a couple shots. But like... It stands out from all the other stuff on Shutter's homepage, in my opinion. I haven't seen a ton of marketing for it. I mean, I think the trailer kind of gives away a little bit too much. Um, oh yeah. the The poster is very good looking though, and I like like I was saying, it's very well produced. So I think like I think it stands out enough to where people are definitely going to check this out. And I've already seen, like you were saying, a, a decent amount of conversations on this movie on my Twitter. So I think it is hitting pretty well, and it just seems like another big movie for Shutter this year. It's kind of like the perfect movie for both crowds we were talking about a little earlier because not only does it hit on social issues in a way that feels realistic, it also really capitalizes on what horror fans who aren't tuned into Twitter and whatever the political situation is want to see. You've got gore, you've got psychological unraveling, you've got great shot work, you've got awesome characters, maybe just a little bit let down by the acting, but like... I think this would still hit pretty hard with uh, just your average Shutter subscriber, not the person who's tuned in to the world around them, you know? Like, you can still get escapism out of this, yeah. I think. Yeah, completely. I, I totally agree with that. I think, and I think the high production value really helps with that. I think when people turn it on and see how good looking the movie is, they'll kind of stick with it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would, I think this is really an easy recommend for me if you have a Shutter subscription. I think. There's no reason not to watch this. Yeah, this is like the hardest of hard three and a half stars for me out of four out of five. I mean, not out of four. Yeah, I think it's a I think it's a really strong three and a half. Is that what you gave it? Yeah. Okay, cool. We're on the same page. For once, <laughs> I'm not rating half star higher than George. And just so you guys know, we don't talk about this before. But last week I saw his babysitter one and I was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna change his mind. <laughs> he wanted to to push me a little bit with that one. Yeah. Because of the line where she's like, silence, rapist. That really... good, A good line. A good line for that sure. That elevated it for me. <laughs> and it was funny. I, I respect a horror movie that's funny. 
like actually makes me laugh. Yeah, I would. I think that's why it stood out. Yeah, I think it is genuinely has funny moments. I just, I don't. Some of the editing stuff was just a little bit too much. Yeah, I like how you've been able to like pick up on editing lately. I mean, I just think like, like the way over the top overlays are like yeah, like they get too much. Like one of them or two of them. When there's like seven, I'm like, all right, we don't, <laughs> we don't need to see all this. <laughs> the Mortal Kombat one is where I was just like. Okay, you tried, but and, like you you didn't succeed, and it was like so close to the end that it just like left such a bad taste in my mouth when the movie was over. It's like I wish that that was just cut, like so I could like re- re- think of it better when I was done watching it. But it's like that last bit just really was like, ugh. yeah, editing is a hard thing to pick up on until you've kind of like been around it, you know? It's right. Like you you can sense that it's off, but you don't know how to pin it down. And you don't really know, like, what, it, like, why does it feel off? Right. Exactly. And also, I don't know if you saw this. I knew this was going to piss you off, so I saved it for the end. Did you see they're doing um, a Hell House LLC series called The Abaddon Tapes, but it doesn't look like it's going to be on Shutter. It looks like it's just going to be released on, like, YouTube or some shit. Yeah, I mean, I saw a little bit of this on Twitter. I think Stephen Cagnetti said that it was, like, not licensed by Shudder, not something that's coming out, like, guaranteed. It's just, like, an idea that they want to put out there. Yeah. Oh, boy. I mean, I love Hell House LLC 1. I I would say it's, like, definitely one of my favorite found footage movies, probably my top ten horror movies of all time. But I just think that, like, the more they fuck with the lore, the worse those movies get. And, like, 2 and 3 are borderline unwatchable for me, even though I love that first movie so much. And, like, I try to really lean into the, like, stupidity of those and, like, get behind it. But, I mean, to me, I I just cannot see the Abaddon tapes being something that I'm going to enjoy. I just wish, like, even if he did come back and do sequels and stuff like he did... I wish he would have done something in between to show that he could, you know? I mean, the issue is that he's shown in the first one that there's, like, serious chops there. That you can make a really effective, cool right, haunted house found footage horror movie that's, like, genuinely terrifying, really effective. But then I, the issue is basically that he gets so deep into the lore that did not need to be explained. Right. Like... I think one of the biggest issues with like sequels to movies that are really strong is that they really expand on lore that is better left untouched. That is, it's the more mysterious right. it is, the better. And I think that's... Well, no, no, no. If you took two and three and mashed them together and took the amount of plot that is revealed in both of those movies and condensed it into like the footage that's not sitting in a fucking TV interview or like weird segments that don't connect in any way i feel like there's one decent movie there not good decent but it's it's three movies for no reason it's a trilogy for the sake of being a trilogy which i don't like the second movie does my mortal sin of stretching its runtime to be an hour and a half for no reason really and the cgi Portal to Hell opening up is terrible. <laughs> right. And they did the CGI Portal to Hell great in the first movie's director's cut. They did it fucking awesome. So what the hell happened? Oh, you rushed it. You made your movie in a year. And just dumb decisions were made. And that sucks. Because, like, 
We're both huge fans of the Hell House franchise. I got a poster sitting on my fucking wall with everyone's autograph who worked on the first movie, right? Like, yeah. I'm a big fan of that. Thanks, Danielle. And it just sucks to see it, like, treated like this. I, I don't know. I just... The Abaddon tapes, it just sounds like you had extra footage on your hard drive and you want to release it. And also, I mean, it sounds like it's going to be very, like, self-produced. Which, I mean, maybe that's a good thing, since the first movie was completely, like, a solo project. And maybe getting extra support did something <laughs> that, you know, reduced the quality in some way. I don't understand how that works, but possibly, you know, maybe... It's the timing, dude. It's it's five years versus one. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I, like, I hope that the Abaddon tapes are something that are cool and something I can get behind and more reminiscent of the first movie than the two sequels. But, I mean, to me, the Abaddon tapes just sound like more lore about the Abaddon Hotel, and I think that is not the strong point of any of those movies, so I don't know. And then uh, the, the big reason to watch 3 is you get more footage of the Hell House crew, and I was so excited for that, right? It's a it's prequel footage that shows them kind of all deciding that they're going to buy Hell House. Right. And turn it into a haunted house. But it was 100% filmed during the first movie. Yeah, it's it was like, like deleted scenes. It was Yeah, like... and I, come on. Like, really? You can't just get all these people back together and film something, even if you just get a couple of them? I know they're going to look a lot older because you shot the first one in, like, 2011 or something. But, like... It just would help if you weren't recycling footage so much. It just feels exploitative and cheap. And it's like, it's getting to the point where I can't even defend it anymore. Yeah. I mean, it. Uh, I was hoping that the Abaddon, because there was like a little bit of confusion before Stephen King Eddie said anything about it. And I was hoping it was going to be something like, you know, hopefully sanctioned by Shudder or on Shudder or something with a budget or something new possibly that could be cool. But it, like you are saying, it just sounds like more recycled footage on the first movie right i gave it two chances to be good one thing i really would like to see though speaking of you know this haunted haunted house thing and movies we like that are vod i would love to see a, a houses october built three i feel like they could kind of recalibrate and figure out what made the first one work because i've just heard more from the guys who made it and it just seems like it, it seems like a lot of external things caused the second one to be as messy as it is um so I feel like they should get another shot, personally. I mean, to me, that that's the exact same problem as the Hell House 1 to 2 and 3, where the first one is like a really simplistic idea. A bunch of people yeah. go on a road trip, all these haunted houses. It's cool. You get to see actual haunts, which is sweet. And then the second one, they expand on the blue skull lore which no one cared about. No one wanted to know more about that. And it ends in such a stupid way that it just makes both movies worse because the plot is so stupid right and two two went too hard on trying to like advance the story of the main characters which that's not the reason i'm watching the house is october built I'm, I'm watching it to see these haunts and see these characters go through them and hopefully get killed at the end and if that means you got to introduce a whole new cast of characters like so be it just do that the concept is sound the execution was not yeah. And I that's where I feel like they learned their lesson on the second one. Whereas two, I remember when two came out with Hell House LLC 2. And then we heard Stephen Cotty talking about it right after. And he's just like, yep, I'm going to keep going down this road. And we're like, 
oh <laughs> yeah like there were definitely okay. some warning signs for hellhouse llc3 and hopefully like like i would watch an house october built three i would go with extremely low expectations but i would watch it like i i could see them creating something cool like the first movie again because it is such a simple concept and they're talented they're, they're talented. really talented. like it's a cool team I think if they found a bunch more haunts that were cool, I think that's like a you know win-win situation where these people who put all this time and effort into these haunts get a little bit of recognition, a little bit of extra coverage, and we get a cool movie out of it. I mean, I think that it's like that's t- exactly what I'm looking for, and I hope that they had learned from the mistakes of the second one and focus on that instead of the lore. I mean, really, the only big haunted house we, there weren't even any cool haunted house in the second one the biggest scene that i remember is the zombie run which was like kind of cool but not really a haunted house it wasn't filmed well yeah it, it was like the the you could tell the location was sweet and the idea of it's really cool i would love to do it honestly but like yeah it wasn't filmed well my other favorite part is when they do the gross food eating contest and that's real and then they got that real shot of um one of them one of the Roe brothers i think throwing up in the dumpster that felt <laughs> yeah. really authentic because it was and that that was like it had the energy of the first movie yeah. and then it, it then it gets all fucked up when they're like they get to that last haunted house and there's the weird switcheroo but there is some really cool gore and some cool practical effects got to give them credit there it's just it's messy it's not bad it's messy and the first one wasn't messy probably because they fucking reshot the movie like they had a version done that was apparently like one to one, basically the same movie as the first one, but it was shot in four by three. So when they got the second one, or th- when they got it produced, the producers gave them money to reshoot it, like the whole thing. So like obviously you're going back through and doing the same movie again. You can do it that much better because you know what pitfalls you fell in. Right. You can correct all your mistakes exactly. Yeah. So just yeah, it seems like a lot of just like a bunch of different external effects caused two to be messy when it could have been a much better movie so i'm hoping this extended absence for three is really just them taking their time and really nailing it down because that franchise is made by two brothers who really enjoy going to haunted houses like that's why they made it they went on a haunted house tour every year for while they were growing up and they still did it into their 20s and 30s so Hopefully they can recapture that energy. I just don't see that happening, bringing this back around with Hell House LLC, because it feels like at this point it's just completely lost the plot. Like, yes, I like the universe. I like what you introduced in the first movie. I like some of the lore in 2 and 3, but you're completely missing the point on what made your movie good. The fact that it's a fucking great, nitpick-free found footage movie that's very simple. And you've already almost been outdone by Haunt last year. And I guarantee if you keep going down this path you're on now, you're going to continually be outdone by other new filmmakers. Which, like, yeah, that sucks. But, like, I don't know how many reviews or critics or whoever need to say that, yeah, this path that the franchise is heading down right now isn't right. You know? Like I said before, the concept is simple. Anybody could make a haunted like hotel or haunted haunted like a legitimately haunted haunt anybody could make that movie and make it effective and make it scary and so i i don't like i have such a affinity for the first movie that i don't want to see like somebody else outdo it basically but at the same time if somebody did create kind of a similar movie and made sequels that were of the same energy you know it, it would suck 
because I would have to like that series more. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. That's how I feel. But thankfully, one's always there. And if you guys haven't bought the director's cut yet, I highly suggest it. It's got some great extra footage with some awesome uh, kill scenes in it that aren't in the original cut. And we're not trying to be mean. Obviously, we love the first movie. It's just frustrating. That's 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 when George and I get the most like fired up. It's when stuff is frustrating, you know, because we like it. Right. Like I, <laughs> I wanted to like the sequels so much because I love the original. And so I just I just wish that they would they would just create something that would capture the same feel as the first movie again. But that's gonna wrap it up for this episode of Fear Frequency. Honestly, one of the best in a while. We got a lot of Halloween stuff to talk about. How can you complain? Again, keep your eye out. October first, you're gonna see it all over the internet. The teaser for what we've been working on over the past week. Uh, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Jimmy Champagne. You can follow George on Twitter at George Frizzard. And for the time being, he's <laughs> Honest George on Instagram. The show is at Fear Frequency everywhere you can find it. Um, that pretty much covers it. You got anything else to say? No. Uh, like like you said, just keep your eyes peeled for that that teaser that's going to drop. You're, you guys are not ready for how cool this is. Yeah, it's going to be fucking sweet. All right, guys, we'll catch you next week right on time, Wednesday instead of Thursday. See ya. Shape on. <laughs>